bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, August 7, 2012. I'll begin this week's podcast with an update on tax extenders, along with an update on the six-month budget deal and an invitation to submit nominations for the Developments of Distinctions Awards. Then, in the Low Income Housing Tax Credit section of this week's podcast, I'll discuss the provisions included in the Senate Finance Committee's extenders package that relate to the Low Income Housing Tax Credit. I'll also discuss last week's release of proposed fair market rents for 2013, I'll also review some of the findings of the Council of Development Finance Agency's 2011 National Taxes and Bond Volume Cap Report. In our New Market Tax Credit segment, I'll review details of the two-year New Market Tax Credit extension that was passed by the Senate Finance Committee last week. I'll also discuss the support being expressed for the New Market Tax Credit Program in the House of Representatives, and I'll touch on the most recent QEI issuance report. In this week's Renewable Energy discussion, I'll discuss the status of extensions for the production tax credit and the investment tax credit. I'll also discuss a joint request for proposals that the governors of all six New England states have agreed to release in 2013 for a significant amount of renewable energy. And finally, in our historic tax credit discussion, I'll share some good news for Massachusetts where the state legislatures passed legislation to increase the state's historic tax credit cap. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, Congress is now on their August work periods. That's the district work periods for the House and the state work periods for the Senate. And when the members of Congress return after Labor Day, there will be approximately 13 legislative days left between then and the elections. Last week was a big week for tax extenders. The Senate Finance Committee approved the Family and Business Tax Cut Certainty Act of 2012, and they approved it by a bipartisan vote of 19 to 5. This is also being referred to as the Extenders Bill. All 13 Democrats on the committee voted for the Extenders Bill, and they were joined by six Republicans, Senators Hatch, Grassley, Snow, Crapo, Roberts, and Thune. There were five Republicans that voted against the bill, Senators Kyle, Enzi, Cornyn, Coburn, and Burr. This extenders package contains more than $205 billion in tax extenders. The provisions include a two-year extension of the new market tax credit through 2013. This extension would authorize $3.5 billion in new allocation authority for calendar years 2012 and 2013. The proposal also extends for two years through 2018 the carryover period for unused new market tax credits, a provision we haven't really seen needed. Now, two provisions related to the low-income housing tax credit. There was an extension for the fixed 9% 
low-income housing tax credit percentage for allocations made through 2013. And I say fixed, but it's really a 9% floor. It's just unlikely that the actual floating percentage would rise above 9%. The bill also includes a two-year extension through, two, through December 31, 2013 of the special rule that excludes the basic housing allowance that's received by members of the military from the determination of family income for purposes of qualifying for admission as a qualified low-income housing tax credit tenant. The bill also includes a one-year extension of the production tax credit and the investment tax credit for when projects started in 2013. Emphasis on started in 2013 versus placed in service. A big change. Now I'll discuss each of these provisions in more detail later in the podcast. The measure also included a provision that expressed the sense of the committee that tax reform should be the focus of the next Congress. Now, despite the committee's approval of the bill, most observers believe the chances are slim for an extenders package to be approved by the full Congress before the November elections. House leaders, I note, have been working on their own plan for tax extenders in ways and means committee chairman Dave Camp has indicated he plans his own review of the tax extender provisions. So at this time, it's not expected that the Senate Finance Committee bill will even make its way to the floor of the U.S. Senate before elections. However, it's still a significant step to have it out of the committee and ready to go to the floor of the Senate. Also last week, House Speaker John Boehner announced that House and Senate leaders had reached an agreement to consider a six-month continuing resolution that would be consistent with the spending cap levels in the Budget Control Act. They would consider this six-month continuing resolution in September after they return from their August district and state work periods. Now, this six-month continuing resolution would keep the government operating into next year because, as you know, the federal government's budget expires on September 30th. So there needs to be some type of continuing resolution before the elections. Now, coincidentally, the six-month continuing resolution would extend the federal budget and fund the federal government until April 1st, which, as you know, is April Fool's Day. Now, Speaker Boehner said that during the current August district work period, committee members and their staff will write legislation that can be passed by the House and the Senate in September and be sent to the president to be signed into law before the end of September. Based on the current plan, the government would be funded at $1.047 trillion, which is the top-line spending for 2012. Now, turning to Treasury nominees, last week Matthew Rutherford and Mark Mazur were confirmed by the Senate to serve in positions at the Treasury Department. Rutherford will serve as Treasury Assistant Secretary for Financial Markets. In this role, he'll advise the Secretary of the Treasury on broad matters of domestic finance, financial markets, federal, state, and local finance, and federal government lending policies, and be responsible for Treasury's management of the public debt. Of more note to a lot of our listeners, Mark Mazur will serve as a Treasury's Assistant Secretary for Tax Policy. In this role, he's responsible for developing, analyzing, and coordinating Treasury's and the administration's agenda policies and guidance on tax issues. Now, I'd like to close this section by noting that the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits is now accepting entries for its fourth annual Developments of Distinction Awards. Tax credit project owners, developers, and other interested professionals are encouraged to nominate tax credit developments for a 2012 Developments of Distinction Award. 
Once again, I'd like to encourage all with a deserving housing, historic, or renewable energy development to share them with us. Now, awards will be presented in six categories. A low-income housing tax credit project that has had a major impact on its community. A low-income housing tax credit project that has overcome significant obstacles. A low-income housing tax credit project that's demonstrated financial innovation. As well as a project that was the most innovative in the use of HUD financing and tax credits. There's also an award for the most meaningful and distinctive historic tax credit project that has served as a major catalyst for further community development. And then we also have an award for the most effective and innovative renewable energy tax credit project that has had a positive impact on job creation and its community footprint. Practitioners from all sectors of the tax credit industry are encouraged to submit nominations and winning developments and their project teams will be honored January 10th at the 19th Annual Task Credit Developers Conference in Miami, Florida. For more details and to submit a nomination, please go to www.taskcredithousing.com. In localizing tax credit news, as I mentioned a moment ago, last week the Senate Finance Committee approved a bill by a bipartisan vote of 19 to 5, extending a number of tax provisions. Now, though it wasn't included in the original chairman's mark of the Senate finance bill, Senators Maria Cantwell and Olympia Snow did offer an amendment to provide a 9% long-term tax credit percentage floor for allocations made through December 31, 2013. Senators John Kerry, Jeff Bingaman, Ben Cardin, Debbie Stabenow, and Robert Menendez co-sponsored this amendment. The amendment was agreed to by a voice vote during the committee's hearing on August 2nd, with only Senator Coburn voting in opposition. The Cantwell-Snow Amendment replaces the requirement that projects be placed in service by the end of 2013 in order to receive the 9% credit floor with the requirement that the tax credit allocation be made by the end of 2013, such that they could get an allocation by the end of 2013, and you'd have then the following two years as a general rule, to actually be placed in service. Any forward allocations, I'd like to note, made by a state agency would also be covered by this provision. The estimated cost of the provision is $8 million over 10 years. The tax incentives bill approved by the committee also included a two-year extension through December 31, 2013 of the special rule that excludes the basic housing allowance received by members of the military from the determination of income for purposes of qualifying as a low-income housing tax credit tenant. Based on preliminary estimates, this provision would cost $37 million over 10 years, which does strike me as a bit high. Now, I'd like to note, of course, this is not law yet. It's been passed by the committee, the Senate Finance Committee. However, it would still need to be passed by the full Senate as well as uh, a bill approved in the House. That being said, it's significant that extension of the 9% tax credit floor has made it into a bill like this that has been approved by a committee. Now turning to HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban Development released its proposed fair market rents, or FMRs, for fiscal year 2013 on Friday, August 3rd. Once again, the proposed fair market rents have been released. Now, HUD uses the FMRs to determine the payment standard amounts for several programs, 
including the Housing Choice Voucher and the Home Program. They also affect the calculation of rent limits for the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Program. HUD will accept comments on the proposed rents until September 4th. You can review HUD's proposed Fiscal Year 2013 FMRs at the Affordable Housing Resource Center. Now, Novograd and Company is currently reviewing the proposed FMRs, and I'll share our analysis in a future Tax Credit Tuesday podcast. I'd also encourage you to send an email to cpas at novaco.com with any thoughts you have on these proposed FMRs. And if you have questions about how these proposed FMRs might affect your property, please contact my colleague, Thomas Stagg, at 425-453-5783. Now, turning to taxes and bond financing, the nation's overall private activity bond issuance was down 13% in 2011. However, multifamily housing bond issuance was up sharply, but increased by nearly 91%. These statistics are according to the Council of Development Finance Agency's 2011 National Volume Cap Report. States issued $12.8 billion in bonds last year, and this compares to $14.6 billion in 2010, hence the $1.8 billion drop. This overall drop, though, shouldn't come as a surprise, as broader municipal bond issuance decreased by nearly a third last year. In addition, the report said that private activity bond issuance in 2011 was more in line with that of 2008 and 2009, and the high issuance in 2010 was actually an outlier. Now, the most dramatic turnaround in 2011 was the $2.1 billion increase in multifamily housing bond issuance. Now, this is likely, or almost most certainly, uh, the result of the new issue bond program under which Treasury committed to purchase $15.3 billion in tax-exempt housing bonds issued by housing finance agencies. Now, the Journal of Tax Credits reported in February of this year that several HFAs had reported that through the new issue bond program, they'd been able to achieve record production levels in 2011. The new issue bond program also played a role in single-family housing bond issuance, I note. CDFA's findings come from surveying state allocating agencies and examining their year-end reports. You can find a full copy of this report from CDFA at www.cdfa.net. In new market tax credit news, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, the Senate Finance Committee added a two-year extension of the new market tax credit program to tax extenders that it approved last week. This package that was passed by the committee extends the program till December 31, 2013, permitting $3.5 billion in new Qualified Investment Issues Authority for 2012 and 2013. That's $3.5 billion for each of those two calendar years. This proposal also extends for two years through 2018 the carryover period for unused new market tax credits. The committee estimated the cost of the extension would be $1.8 billion over 10 years. Not included in the bill were several amendments that would have prevented the new market tax credit from being used in conjunction with other grant programs and incentives, which is something that we're glad wasn't included. More specifically, Senator Tom Coburn introduced a number of new market tax credit-related amendments. One provision would have eliminated the new market tax credit program altogether. Several other provisions would have prohibited the credit from being used for certain businesses, including drive-in movie theaters and salons. 
Now, these amendments were not included in the final bill, but they did get support of 10 out of 24 Senate Finance Committee members and received support of all Republicans with the exception of Senator Snow. Now, we've posted the committee version of the bill as well as supporting materials online at www.novaco.com. And we'll most certainly post additional information as it becomes available. And I'll also bring you updates in future podcasts, and I'll send out tweets as appropriate. Now, the good news on the House side is that the New Market Tax Credit has received support from lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. And more specifically, Ohio Republican representatives Steve Stivers and Steve Chabot have circulated a letter of support for an extension of the New Market Tax Credit. Representative Stivers and Chabot asked freshman members of Congress to sign a letter addressed to House Speaker John Boehner, Majority Leader Eric Cantor, and Majority Whip Kevin McCarthy. The letter cites the program's success in funding community facilities and small businesses, as well as the program's track record of job creation. The representatives have asked supporters to sign onto the letter by August 3rd. You can find a copy of the letter on the New Market Tax Credit Resource Center's advocacy page. And in closing, last week the CDFI Fund released a monthly update to its ongoing Qualified Equity Investment Issuance Report. This report identifies the dollar amount of allocation authority that's been issued to investors and the amount remaining to be issued to investors. In July, about $383 million of QEIs were finalized. This is about $130 million more than the amount that was finalized the month before in June. The amount still available in New Market Tax Allocation Authority is approximately $5.8 billion. That's as of August 1st. Now, much of that $5.8 billion is already unofficially committed. That said, if you're looking for help in finding an allocation or help in closing a transaction, I encourage you to contact one of my partners. And that's Stevenson in our Cleveland, Ohio office, Owen Gray in our San Francisco office, or other partners in the Novogratic office near you. In renewable energy tax credit news, the renewable energy community was encouraged last week when the Senate Finance Committee did pass an extenders package that included extension of the Federal Wind Energy Production Tax Credit. The committee passed bill also includes an extension of the investment tax credit. Now, while the extensions were not, that's right, they were not included in the original chairman's mark of the bill, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus did include an extension of the PTC and the ITC for wind projects started in 2013 and a modified chairman's mark that was released on August 2nd. In addition, a number of lawmakers introduced amendments in support of the wind production tax credit. These senators included Jeff Bingaman, John Kerry, Debbie Stabenow, Maria Cantwell, Bill Nelson, Benjamin Cardin, and Kent Conrad. The American Wind Energy Association reports that on those amendment votes, all the Democratic committee members, as well as Republican Senators Chuck Grassley and Pat Roberts, supported the extension of the PTC. Meanwhile, three senators from each party who are not members of the Senate Finance Committee submitted a letter last week to committee leaders in favor of wind energy. These senators are Senators Michael Bennett, John Bozeman, Scott Brown, Tom Harkin, Jerry Moran, and Mark Udall. Now, turning to the New England states, governors of all six New England states have agreed to release a joint request for proposal in 2013 for a significant amount of renewable energy. 
Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick proposed the resolution last week at the New England Governor's Conference being held in Vermont. Their resolution passed unanimously. This coordinated procurement of renewable energy is designed to allow New England to take advantage of economies of scale and market power. Under the resolution, the New England State's Committee on Electricity is tasked with convening a team of top energy officials and other representatives from each state. Over the next year, the team will finalize the details of the regional procurement year and the committee will develop a work plan that will result in the release of a six-state RFP. If you have any questions about financing renewable energy projects or about this initiative, I encourage you to contact my partner, Tony Grappone, in our Boston office. His number is 617-330-1920. And I'd also like to turn to the Department of the Interior. In late July, the Interior Department, in partnership with the Energy Department, published the final programmatic environmental impact statement for solar energy development in six southwestern states. Those states are Arizona, California, Colorado, Nevada, New Mexico, and Utah. The administration says that this effort represents a major step forward in the permitting of utility-scale solar energy on public lands. Since 2009, the Interior Department has approved 17 utility-scale solar energy projects that, when built, will produce nearly 5,900 megawatts of energy. The impact statement identifies 17 solar energy zones as priority areas for utility-scale solar development. The blueprint also allows for utility-scale solar development on approximately 19 million acres in variance areas lying outside of identified solar energy zones. These variance areas are those that are outside of identified solar energy zones but could be eligible for utility-scale solar development. More information is available online at www.doi.gov. In historic tax credit news, before we wrap up today's podcast, I did want to share one quick historic tax credit update. A measure that would add $10 million to the Massachusetts State Historic Tax Credit's annual cap arrived at the governor's desk last week, that on the final day of the state's legislative session. The Joint Conference Committee final report H-4352 amends the cap, the historic tax credit cap, by removing the $50 million cap and replacing it with a $60 million cap. Governor Deval Patrick has until Friday to act on the legislation. For a copy, go to www.historictaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com slash podcast or by subscribing to the Novogratik Report on tax credits in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP, is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with 13 offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.